today on Media Download. From Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm your host, Merrill Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. On today's episode of our podcast, the fall premiere of our program, we are happily joined by Margaret Sullivan, media columnist of the Washington Post and former public editor of the New York Times. Margaret has had an extraordinary career in journalism, which includes her stint as the top editor at the Buffalo News, her hometown paper. She joins us today to talk about media coverage of the presidential campaign and Monday's presidential debate, the first of a series of debates that will certainly uh, capture the nation's attention over the coming weeks. Margaret, welcome. Thank you, Merrill. Great to be talking with you. Great to have you. Um, So you wrote the other day about the challenge of debate moderators and the things that, in your view, are required of them. Like everything else involving uh, the media in this campaign, even that topic and the moderator's uh, role have become a series of uh, debates among media participants and outsiders, with a number of people suggesting, including um, Chris Wallace of Fox News, that the moderator's role is not to check facts, but to ask questions. How do you see that, that, uh, that debate going, and what's, what's your view of it? Well, I do think that the debate moderators have to get the truth out and get get at the truth. So we don't want to see them turn into, you know, um, you know, aggressive fact checkers who are dominating the conversation or making themselves into the the focus of attention. But when something is said that's not factual, and if it's not contradicted uh, effectively by the other candidate, then I think the moderator needs to have a role there. And what are your expectations about how that role will be handled by, by at least this Monday by, um, by NBC's Lester Holt? Well, I'm fascinated to, to see how he will handle it. I think that Holt is um, going to be good. You know, I think he'll be extremely well prepared. This is coming off of Matt Lauer's much um, criticized commander-in-chief forum in which he failed to do this kind of pushing back when inaccuracies, uh, specifically when Donald Trump said once again that he opposed the Iraq war from the beginning, which is simply not true and, and demonstrably not true. Uh, Lauer just sort of let that go by. So I don't think that Holt will do that, but I think he's going to be very interested in coming off as fair and as um, low-key, but getting the job done. So I think it's, it'll be good, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how he handles it. Um, your your first uh, suggestion about uh, handling of the moderator role is to maintain control, and that's something <laughs> that many TV and other interviews interviewers have struggled to do, particularly with Donald Trump in the campaign season. 
How do you view the control question? You know, he's very, very dominant in conversation and and very, you know, I think very difficult to kind of control the flow. He kind of slides from one subject to another, and, you know, he's very good on at staying on his own message without really answering questions or speaking to the point. So I think it will be uh, a real a really difficult um, assignment to try to keep the candidates under control, I think particularly Donald Trump. Another of your five points speaks to that point, and that is your suggestion that the moderators be willing and able to stop the candidates in their tracks, something that very few people, there are a few exceptions like, um, like Chris Matthews, very few people have been able to do with candidate Trump. That's right. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. And, uh, you know, but I think that's an absolute necessity. I've seen some suggestions from readers and from other people who've written about this, other sort of observers, that, you know, the mics be cut off when they go off topic or if they won't yield their time. You know, I, I think that's too extreme, but I do think that the moderator can be quietly forceful, and I hope that will happen. You um you came into your current position as media columnist at a rather a remarkable time in the in the world of political journalism and in the context of the issues of this campaign and in the very notion of objectivity and how the press has handled its responsibilities in this campaign at, at a high level what do you think uh, has are the press in a more difficult position than they've ever been or is the press and the political press in particular less able to cope with the complexity of the moment than in the past well, there, there really hasn't been a candidate like Donald Trump before uh, in many ways. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't served in public office. He's a businessman. He, his method of communicating is very unusual. Um, you know, very frankly, he has lied much more and spread falsehoods much more than uh, your average candidate and doesn't seem to... Um, care about that. So I think it's been very, very tough to cover him in this way that the press, the media, is used to covering two candidates. They're used to sort of treating them as sort of equals, but these situations are not equal. So we're seeing some interesting things happening, one of which was just this past, in the past couple of days, the New York Times has sort of taken a different tack in covering him, in which they've been more forthright in their news columns about saying things are false or wrong, particularly when Trump talked about the birther issue in which he's challenged President Obama's, um, you know, citizenship or, or not citizenship, but where he was born. And, uh, you know, the Times actually in a headline said, some news headline said something like unwinding the big lie. And that is uh, certainly a departure for journalists who try not to do that kind of thing. I think that's changing now. And that is for the better, I assume you're saying. I think it is. I, I think it's a response to a very unusual moment. And, uh, you know, it it. it it's very disconcerting, but I think it does seem necessary. My, my principal critique of the press circumstance over the course of this campaign has been 
the slow arrival of serious reporters and reporting about about the backgrounds of the candidates, and in particular, uh, Donald Trump's business career, which seems to have taken until this summer to get lots of ener- uh, reporting energy against. Is that? Do you agree with that, and you think that's been a problem, and why has it taken so long? You know, I saw some tough stories before, um, for months now, but you're absolutely right, Meryl, that it's ramped up a great deal in the past, uh, you know, just just since the summer. I will say, I, I think that the Washington Post, which is my employer, nevertheless, I say this uh, with in all sincerity, um, has done a very good job of um, aggressively and thoughtfully uh, looking at and reporting on examining Donald Trump's background uh, to the extent that uh, uh, its staff has put out a book called Trump Revealed that really looks at his whole history. Now, that book came out in August, but you can imagine that the reporting on it was taking place for months before that. And as reporters came up with different stories or scoops or you know, revelations, they were published in the newspaper at that time. So it, did, it wasn't just waiting for the book to come out. And I think the Times uh, has, has done some good things, and, and other publications have too. But I certainly agree with you that it has taken a while for things to get serious. And there was a long period of time in which uh, cable news particularly was giving Donald Trump a lot of free airtime that helped his candidacy immensely. What, one of the other interesting things about next Monday's debate, uh, and this is you know self-evident at some level, is that it's the first presidential campaign uh, debate involving a woman, and uh, gender issues have you know come up many times in connection with the Trump candidacy. I wonder if you thought at all about the the gender dynamic on that stage next week and how one might view it. Yes, I, I have given this some thought. You know, we often hear. Um, when women speak, especially when they speak forcefully, that they're being shrill um, or, you know, some other disparaging words like that. It's it's a tough, it's a very narrow line that Hillary Clinton has to walk in order to be both forceful and, and you know, not run up against what I consider unfair um, gender judgments about how she speaks. And, you know, she knows that, and I assume, and and we'll deal with it. And, you know, we don't need to feel sorry for her about it, but it is it is the fact. And, you know, there are also just things like, you know, sort of ineffable factors like size, you know, who's, who's a bigger physical presence. And there's nothing you can do about that. But I think it does sort of enter into a dynamic when both candidates are on stage. Well, yes, and, you know, the, the, the odd things happen in these debates. Candidates look at their watches, and candidates' <laughs> upper lips sweat, and you, you kind of never know what's going to resonate with the public in very odd ways. And the gender question and the point you just raised about height, I guess he's, what, nine inches taller than she is. Yeah, so. I don't know exactly what it is. I, that may be, we may not really be able to know what his height is because he, he tells it differently, I think, than it, than it is. But, you know, uh, when I was in Buffalo, I happened to be in the studio audience when Hillary Clinton debated Rick Lazio, who she was running against for, 
senator in New York State, and something very interesting happened on that stage, which was that she very um, surprisingly walked over to him with a document and sort of, you know, put it under his nose and said that, you know, he I can't remember the details, but it was a really notable moment in this debate and very uh, assertive on her part, and it really worked in her favor. So as you say, strange things can happen, and I think while this debate and these debates are going to be very important, they're also going to be very fascinating and I think entertaining. Um, so I assume this topic and the debate itself on Monday are the focus of a lot of your reporting and analytical energy in the coming days and, and weeks beyond yes. it. But but what else is on your agenda and what are the kinds of stories you're thinking about? Or are you just in a position, because this is such a crazy year, that you're as reactive as you are proactive? Well, that's a great question. I mean, a little bit of both. I I am trying to think in relatively thoughtful terms and do some some reporting around some of the bigger issues, including the role of the debates in, in our in our um, you know democratic society. But then things happen, and when things happen, you have to respond to them. Uh, on Friday, when Donald Trump had this very strange event at the Trump International Hotel, where the media was essentially standing there waiting for his big announcement about about the birther matter and in the process giving him um, oodles of free airtime, I jumped on that rather quickly and actually wrote something, a column that very day. So it's kind of a combination of both being quickly reactive and trying to do some deeper, more thoughtful kinds of things. But I did take a little break from that um, just today or yesterday, and I, I wrote a piece about Edward Snowden, uh, and I suggested that uh, the president um, allow him to come back to the United States uh, without without charges. In other words, use the presidential pardon. And uh, so that, you know, that has nothing to do with the campaign, but it, it's in the news right now for a number of reasons. Well, well, and that tees up the question of your own editorial page and its point of view about it, which I guess is different than yours, it would sound, sound like. It, very different, yes. And in fact, I was, you know, reacting, I guess, to the reaction to that. So the, the editorial um, page of the of the Washington Post, which is separate from the newsroom, as in most uh, newspapers and media organizations like this one, um, you know, completely separate with a firewall. They don't talk to each other or confer or say, what are you doing or anything like that. But the editorial page uh, wrote, uh, and it appeared in Saturday's paper, that Snowden should not get this kind of special consideration and that, you know, in essence, he should be, um, if he wants to come back to the United States, he should be prosecuted, essentially. And um, so my opinion is different. I work within the newsroom, not on the editorial side. And, uh, you know, they're entitled to their to their opinion. And I guess I'm I'm entitled to mine, at least so far. I'm still working here today. I, I, that, that's this is the least of your problems, Marty. Your least of your I challenges. I think that's right. Ma Ma Marty Barron and the Washington Post editorial people are very um, are very structured about all this, and you're that's right. You, you'll face very little challenges in, in at least this regard. Uh, two more questions. Um, I don't know if you saw Carl Bernstein on CNN the other night, or have seen what he's had to say about the media coverage of this, but he is exceedingly critical of cable news and what he sees as. Um, as their failures to 
present documentary programming on the candidates and so forth. Um, just to remind our younger listeners, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward are known for their extraordinary work in uncovering the Watergate scandal, and he's an ex-Washington Post reporter. Um, what did you did you hear that commentary, and what do you make of that charge? Yes, I you know I agree with Carl Bernstein that cable news is at fault here in this campaign in many ways, in it kind of um, just too much of simply you know, turning the camera on and and letting the campaign run away as opposed to being really thoughtful and um, aggressive in its, you know, ability to push back. I mean, it certainly has the ability, but I haven't seen too much of that. And there are exceptions, of course. I've seen some, I've seen Brian Stelter, uh, a media uh, reporter and commenter, do some really good um, pushing back and, and holding people's feet to the fire. But when that happens, it's such a rarity that you tend to say, wow, I, I really haven't seen too much of that. And it really should be more than norm. Hopefully more to come between now and Election Day. Uh, la- last question, Margaret. Uh, you uh, had great visibility and by most accounts, including my own great success as public editor of The New York Times, and your work is missed here. Um, I assume by definition you think the um, – the uh, act of appointing a public editor is an important thing to do. What about the public editor role, not for you, obviously, but the public editor role at the Washington Post and other places where there aren't any? I think that it's great that the Times has a public editor. The Times is, you know, very unusual. It's very large. It has a 1,300-member newsroom, and it's, um, you know, it is something of an entity unto itself. I will tell you that when I was the editor of the Buffalo News, my publisher once suggested that we get an ombudsman, and I said, you know, I really feel like I can do much of that role myself because I'm out in the community a lot, I'm talking to the public a lot, I'm responsive. So I don't think that every newsroom must have a public editor, but I do give the Times a lot of credit for you know, essentially paying someone to criticize them internally. And I will add, it's quite an uncomfortable role for that person. And you wrote in your last column about the many discomforts of doing that, a column I commend to our listeners. Um, Margaret, thank you for your time today. Uh, Good luck over the course of the campaign. And I hope you'll come visit, and we'll see you soon. Great. Thanks, Merrill. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, If you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Merrill Brown. Thanks for listening.